Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. We know you can't get enough of your favorite flavors. Luckily, Kroger Free Pickup makes it easy to grab what you need without any surprise fees. Whether it's extra buns for the barbecue or those chips you just can't quit, start your cart with the Kroger app. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host. I'm your guide as together we'll cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, iHeartRadio. And, of course, Simul Radio and Simul TV. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at com on all social media sites, exxon Radio TV. And to find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And for all the programming that is available on Simul TV on the Exxon TV channel, channel number 21, that is, www.simultv.com. Exonation, my guest this hour is Ben, is Ras Ben. He is an innovative educator, counselor, wellness provider, peacekeeper, mediator, sacred timekeeper, and scribe. Originally from Washington, D.C., Ras Ben has, been, has served in the Philadelphia area for over two decades, falling in love with the city after receiving his M.A. from Temple University in African American Studies in 1992. Ras Ben is a self-published author and has recently released Rocks of Ages. A new edition, Rocks of Ages, is a culturally centered survey of the therapeutic use of crystals and sacred stones. A family man who advocates healthy home environments for the youth, Ross Ben has been married 28 years and is the father of seven children. Ross is a spirited man who brings a divine presence to all events he is part of. His website, www.rossben.com. Dot com and Ross Ben, welcome to the X Zone. Thank you. Uh, so tell us a little bit about this quest that that you're obviously on. You know, you um, you seem to be deeply involved in the uh, you know the educational field and so on. 
Uh, how does this relate to what you've done over the past, and how has your quest brought you into the present? Well, you mentioned uh, a love of the city, Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I've been here for a couple of decades. And one thing I noticed being not being from here mm -hmm. and then moving here, the public art in Philadelphia just really stood out to me. And I noticed that people that were born here mm -hmm. and lived here all their lives, you know, it was just kind of a part of their backdrop. And they kind of took it for granted, didn't really pay attention to it. But just the the macabre, uh, mystical nature of the public art mm -hmm. always, you know, kind of called to me. And it, it kind of formalized in research in 2011 when a collective that uh, I'm a part of wanted to do something special in the city on that 1111 uh if you remember in 2011 november 11th there was like this great numerical alignment on the calendar and you had people going to sacred sites all around the world like machu picchu and giza complex uh to you know hold some spirit vibes and there were people here in Philly saying, hey, we need to do something here. But then it raised the question, well, what is so mystical and spiritual about Philadelphia? And it caused some of us to begin this quest, you know, mm -hmm. that has actually culminated. I got to update my bio, <laughs> I tell you, because uh, I did just complete my latest book which is kind of a culmination of that research called Great Mystery Philadelphia. Yeah, Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love, and of course everybody remembers Philadelphia from Rocky. Um, what has been your focus of study, and why has it been based on decoding Philadelphia? Why Philadelphia of all cities? Hmm. Well, uh, right. The popular connotation of the name Philadelphia is City of Brotherly Love. And mm -hmm. most people think that's why William Penn named it as such. But that's not the case. Philadelphia was named that, you know, because of the name Philadelphia, the place that it has in prophecy. And where, and where is that? And in which, which book of prophecy are you talking about? Uh, biblical prophecy, mm -hmm. Revelations chapter 3, where you have a message to the seven churches. And uh, of the seven churches, only one church receives a beneficent or benevolent prophecy, and that's the Church of Philadelphia. And it more or less says that, you know, uh, the, the community or the Church of Philadelphia, which they label the congregation that kept the faith, mm -hmm. that they would be uh, saved in the hour of trial that's to come upon the whole earth. But if so I more or less, this idea of a blessed community mm -hmm. that is spared 
judgment on quote unquote judgment day. That is the that's the place that the community of Philadelphia holds within prophecy. Now William Penn created Philadelphia as a holy experiment that his intention well the stated intention was that if the gathered churches of London mm-hmm. which included Quakers but as well as uh, other Protestant uh, denominations as well as the Lenape or the indigenous Americans of this land if they could live together in oneness then his colony would earn that grace and and so you know that's the intention that he uh, put into naming the city Philadelphia now you mentioned the seven churches that were mentioned in the book of Revelation and uh, what churches were they uh, man I say I, I can't call it right off okay. uh, right off my mind I know one was the church of uh, Sardia mm-hmm. uh, all right. But yeah, I, yeah. I don't have uh, you, you know. You don't have that at the... right in front of me. I apologize. It's all know? right. It's all right. Um, how do we know for a fact that it is the church in Philadelphia that is explicitly talked about in the Book of Revelation? Since the Book of Revelation was written so many years ago, and since those seven churches that are talked about in the Book of Revelation, there have been considerably more added to the list. Right. Well, I think, uh, you know, on one level, it's it's uh, allegorical. All right. Explain, uh, explain how you came to that conclusion. The fact that it's uh, seven churches and seven is kind of a mystical number mm-hmm. within prophecy. And, and uh, of course, there's a multitude of communities on planet Earth. Of course. Yeah. And. The, uh, you know, seven churches kind of just represent the collective of, of humanity, you know. And I'm not saying that this city, Philadelphia, is exactly mm-hmm. uh, what is referenced in Revelation. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the things that uh, I actually argue is that Birthing this city, Philadelphia, was an attempt to manipulate the prophetic timeline of, you know, related to the Church of Philadelphia, to enact a historical event that mimicked the fulfillment of that prophecy, but yet had a nefarious intention embedded in it. And that nefarious intention being the resurrection of Rome in the Western Hemisphere and the subjugation of the indigenous people over here. All right, stand by. We've got to take our break. Exonation, our guest this hour is Ross Ben. His website is www.rossben.com. Listen, the X Chronicles newspaper for late January 2019 is now available online at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. It's there with our compliments. And our lead story this uh, this month's edition, the late edition, is the uh, Project Blue Book TV show. And we have a review by Colonel Kevin Randall 
on page number 32. It's free. Go www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. I'm Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. We'll be back after this break. Don't go away. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome back, one and all. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Just a, just a reminder that starting mid-February, we don't have an exact date yet, here in Hamilton on Channel 14, they are going to be playing the Exxon TV show. Uh, so as soon as we get the exact starting date and times, we will pass it on to each and every one of you. Plus, Starting February the 1st, we are going to be on iLaunch TV in 50 states and in 50 countries. And later on in the month of February, we're going to be on Comcast. So the Exxon Nation is growing. And my God, this, this was a miracle that happened overnight, taking 30 years to do. But we did it, Exxon Nation, thanks to you and our worldwide audience. Our guest this hour is Ross Ben, and his website is rossben.com. I have to ask you, uh, Ross Ben. It's a very interesting name. What is the origin of Ross Ben? Uh, well, Ross is a surname or a title within the uh, uh, Ethiopian tradition, the Amhara mm -hmm. religion. It means uh, one who is rising or... Uh, you know, like a, a, a noble servant. So, uh, you know, that's that's like a title, Ross. And then I'm just Ross Ben, you know. Okay, so uh, who, who bestowed this title on you? Well, uh, it's a title that resonates with my spirit. I am of the Rastafari tradition. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah. Okay. 
So, uh, yeah, you know, that's uh, that's my name. All right, you recently uh, published a book entitled Great Mystery Philadelphia, An Urban Act of Magic. Can you tell us about that book and why you wrote it? Yeah, well, I, I mentioned uh, some of it in uh, talking about how Philadelphia got its name. Uh, mm-hmm. And and really, that I, I kind of stated it, that, you know, Philadelphia is an... Uh, an attempt to manipulate a prophetic timeline. Right, and as you were it, saying before we went to the commercial break, uh, the the uh, the rebuilding of Rome was part of that originally. But tell me, um, how does your degree in African American studies figure into into your book, Great Mystery Philadelphia? Well, it did help set a. Uh, Will you say a, a perspective mm-hmm. uh, that is non-traditional, uh, but yet scholarly? And I think that that's a way you can characterize my research. And uh, yeah, that's you know that's how I would address that. Right now, has your research been peer-reviewed? Uh, well, my first work, Rocks of Ages, Mm -hmm. you know, it's actually going on. The first edition came out in 2000. Right. Reprint came out in 08. Mm -hmm. So, but to be honest, I'm not confined to the ebony or ivory towers, you know, and I don't write for uh, academia. I write for the folk that I serve, which is uh, the community of humanity, you know? So, and I also realize that a lot of the paradigms and frameworks that you find in academia are, are really designed to limit broader thought and, you know, things that, you know, might, like, for example, ideas that might go beyond the realm of evolution or, you know. Can you uh, give us an example of, of what you mean about going beyond the, the constraint, I would imagine, of evolution or, or how, how evolution is, is supposed to take place based on the, the anthropological as well as scientific uh, models? Well, there's a, there was a Canadian... A scholar by the name of Agassiz who had some pretty powerful work mm-hmm. looking at the geology uh, botany uh, it's just a full multidisciplinary approach attempting to paint a picture of natural history and what he came up kind of, you know, raised doubts about a lot of Darwinian evolutionary uh, concepts, particularly the out of African, out of Africa evolution paradigm. Right. So everyone knows about Darwin. Mm-hmm. 
Not too many know about Agassiz. And so that's just, you know, one example. I mean, you know, to me, there's many that, you know, you could look at the life of Tesla and how, uh, you know, the scientific community of his time felt threatened by a lot of his uh, different approaches to the production and conduction of power. And it took a while for the, you know, scientific community to accept it. So that's not a uncommon pattern. And what I found is that my purpose, it extends beyond academia. It extends beyond the, you know, ebony and ivory towers. Now, so now you, you mentioned, this is the second time you mentioned ebony and ivory towers. How would you because, describe them? Because they, colleges are usually associated as the ivory tower. The but ivory as, league, right? But, but right. But I studied African-American studies, so... Mm-hmm. Most of my professors, most of what I studied was black. So was, okay. you know, dealing with uh, your culture. It, exactly. So I just say Ebony Tower, you know. Okay. Yes. Um, tell me about the Order of Ro- Rosy Cross. And the Rosicrucians. No, Order of the Rosy Cross. Yeah. I would say they are the ones that are uh, facilitating this urban act of magic we know of as Philadelphia. And uh, it is historical fact, and I see you one that likes facts. It is historic fact that the very first Rosicrucian order to establish itself in the Americas did so right here in Philadelphia on the 40th parallel, about five blocks from where I live. Historically, they're known as the Hermits of the Ridge. The uh, head of it was a man named Johann Kelp, also known Latinized name as Johannius Kelpius. He came over in the late 1690s. They lived in caves in the Wissahickon Valley and were uh, a mystical order inspired by Jacob Boheme, aligned with Francis Bacon's colonization scheme. And uh, their order did not survive because various factors, they were a celibate order. As I mentioned, they lived in the wilderness, they lived in caves. Uh, now, now the fact that they lived in caves, was this something that they wanted to do, or were they forced to live in caves because of sociological uh, indifferences at that time? That's a very good question. It was really a response to uh, the... Re- you can look at it as a, re- on a refinement mm-hmm. to Francis Bacon's colonization scheme. Right. Francis Bacon was a big investor in the Jamestown colony. And it was, you know, considered a failure, you know, that culminated in the Jamestown Massacre. And when they 
studied why it failed. There was a couple of factors. One, the colonists were drawn from the king's court. So you had courtiers and tailors and jewelers and, you know, mm-hmm. people that weren't, you know, built for creating their own food, clothing, and shelter from the land. They also did not have the capacity to relate well with the indigenous or the Native Americans. So Francis Bacon, who was a member of the Rosy Cross, hooked up with Jacob Boheme, who was another member of the Rosy Cross. Jacob Boheme created courses of study to create the perfect colonist, one who would have a rugged lifestyle, but live in caves, you know, make his own food, clothing, and shelter right from the environment, as well as relate well to the indigenous. All right, uh, Ross Ben, please stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exo Nation, our guest this hour is Ross Ben, and he is the author of Great Mystery Philadelphia, an Urban Act of Magic, and his website is rossben.com. I'm Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon, and I'll be back on the other side of the news. Don't go away. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back, everyone. Ross Ben is our special guest, and his website is rossben.com. That's R E S B E N. Dot com, and he's the author of a recently published book entitled Great Mystery Philadelphia, An Urban Act of Magic. Once again, his website is R-A-S-B-E-N dot com. Ross Ben, can you tell us about the um, Ben Franklin's legacy and how you see it tying to the well-known Philadelphia experiment? Mm. Well... I, I remember I, I started by saying that uh, Philadelphia was really an attempt to manipulate a prophetic timeline. Yes, you did. Yeah, and uh, it was William it was William Penn's holy experiment, mm-hmm. right? So fast forward a little less than a century, you got Ben Franklin in Philadelphia conducting what is known historically as the Philadelphia experiment. So we're not talking about the the ship that disappeared. We're talking uh, about Ben Franklin's well, experiment. Are we? Am I right? You're right. Well, well, it, Ben Franklin 
Philadelphia experiment evolved into what is known in pop culture as the Philadelphia experiment. But wasn't the wasn't the Philadelphia experiment mostly connected to Tesla? Well, uh, let let me let me share the progression with you. Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because uh, the Phil that's. That's really why I'm starting with Ben Franklin. Because the Philadelphia Experiment begins with Ben Franklin. Yeah. Okay? His his study of electricity was well known throughout Europe, particularly France and Great Britain. And it was known as the Philadelphia Experiment. You know, and he conducted them, I, I think, in 1754, where... Right here in the city, he demonstrated that static electricity and lightning are the same phenomena. He was also able to identify that what he called electric fluid Mm -hmm. had polarity and can be stored in polarized containers. That's, you know, the foundation of battery technology. He also uh, discovered that this electric fluid can be conducted over wire. Okay, so... Ben Franklin discovered the foundation of electronic circuitry and storage right here in Philadelphia. Okay, and he called it the Philadelphia Experiment. Fast and and as we said too, the foundation of Philadelphia is all about a manipulation of prophetic timelines and a manipulation of, you know, the the course of history and prophecy. Okay. Those two things converged Mm -hmm. in the 1940s with what is known in pop culture as the Philadelphia Experiment, where Franklin's technology of electricity combined with Tesla's advancement, as well as the uh, invention of the computer. So all three... Uh, means like the three key technologies needed for what they would call, you know, manipulation of space time with technology, storage generation, conduction of electricity, the computer, which was ENIAC, uh, invented right here at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and the actual manipulation of the space-time continuum with magnetic fields, which was first conducted, you know, August 12th, 1943, uh, and right off Tinicum Island, which is not far from Philadelphia International Airport and the Philadelphia Naval Yard, you know? So... Franklin's legacy is actually what, you know, we call the Philadelphia experiment and the manipulation of space-time using technology. But there were also many other things that Benjamin Franklin is known for. You know, uh, he invented the lightning rod, bifocals, uh, let me see, the Franklin stove. And, um, you know, he... uh, he was involved in in civic organizations, including the the what was it the library company, Philadelphia's first 
fire department and, and the University of, 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 uh, of Pennsylvania. Absolutely. Well, when you study Franklin's life, yeah, what you see is that he was America's Francis Bacon. How Francis Bacon, uh, you know, founded the uh, Royal Academy, you know, the Royal Society of London, mm -hmm. which was the scientific think tank, as well as just advanced a lot of literary and a uh, whole lot of uh, social transformative things within London, then mm -hmm. Franklin did the same thing in the Americas. And yeah, his, he has a very profound yeah. legacy. But how come? How come? The one, I was just going to say the one that I focus on because I am dealing with Philadelphia as a manipulation of prophecy in space time. That's why I focus on that aspect of his legacy. Then why is it most people know him for everything but what you're talking about? Well, that comes to really paying attention to the public art in Philadelphia. Because if you decode the Ben Franklin Parkway mm -hmm. and like really pay attention to the things that they say with the art and the architecture and the archetype symbols, yeah, Ben Franklin did some that what I'm talking about is kind of mild. You know the statue, the thinker? Yes. Kind of iconic statue, right? Right. Did you know that the statue, the thinker, is on the Ben Franklin Parkway as a part of a permanent installation called the Gates of Hell? And it's situated in such a way that uh, there's a microcosmic uh, image of the thinker actually on the sculpture of the Gate of Hell, such that it shows that the thinker, and Ben Franklin is the thinker, mm -hmm. okay, that... Uh, yeah, Ben Franklin, as the thinker, actually opened up the gates of hell. This is what they're saying. And on one level, you might say, well, what is that? You know, where are you coming at with that? But then we know Ben Franklin was a part of a uh, society. Yeah, he was a Freemason. He was a Freemason, called, yeah. Well, called the Hellfire Club. Well, uh, I don't know if I'd call the Freemasons the Hellfire Club. Well, there was, well, I mean, you can research this. Ben Franklin was a member mm -hmm. of a society in London named the Hellfire Club. Okay, I, I thought you were talking about his involvement with the Freemasons in the United States. Well, he did, he, he did found the Freemason Lodge here in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. absolutely. But, uh, no, I'm speaking of his affiliation oh. with the Hellfire Club. Uh, a man named Sir Thomas Dashwood mm -hmm. was a member, uh, as well as uh, uh, Wharton, Philip Duke of Wharton. Mm -hmm. These are a couple of men who you can research and see that, yeah, they they were at they were caught up in scandal that had them associated with Satanism and ritual sacrifice. So I'm not going to say that they were uh, doing these things, mm -hmm. but they were caught up in scandal that associated them with those things. And Ben Franklin was a member of the Hellfire Club, which 
only had 12 members and he was one of them ironic that there were 12 members and there were 12 apostles uh, that followed christ isn't it uh yeah i do think that is a parallel yeah listen we've got about a minute before i have to take my final break here uh ross ben what is the significance of Ben Franklin when he could have had any post he wanted, any secretary he wanted in the United States government, and he he was postmaster general? Well, on a lot of levels, Ben Franklin was the hidden hand behind uh, the more public figures that uh you know i see you see his president and yeah yeah one, so one of and the it, like masters. i said uh he was mirroring francis bacon's life and francis bacon was the chancellor of the king you know yeah so franklin kind of played that part as far as uh you know, George Washington would be a parallel to England's Oliver Cromwell. Okay. Uh, someone who is appointed oh, oh. leader but is not crowned king. Well, Oliver Cromwell, I, I, know, who, I know him throughout history. Uh, he wasn't the president or the prime minister of Great Britain under the king. Well, he was a, you, know, you know, he he committed monarchicide. He he be, he beheaded. All right, listen, we we've we've got to we've got to take our final break. I'm sorry, I got no so worries. involved in this. So please stand by. Ross no Ben is our guest. His website is rossben.com. We'll be back on the other side as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. This is our final segment with our very special guest this hour, Ross Ben. He is an innovative educator, counselor, wellness provider, peacekeeper, mediator, sacred timekeeper, and scribe. His website, www.rossben.com. First of all, Ross Ben, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure having you on the show. And I must tell you, in my, my opinion, Benjamin Franklin is one of the unsung heroes of the Americas. And, okay, I mean, I, I can honor that, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, from an indigenous perspective, some might be challenged with uh, some of Franklin's legacy. Such as? Well, he is uh, responsible for the diplomatic collapse of the Lenape as a uh, people, you know, as as a uh, sovereign state 
that lived in this territory called Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. as well as uh, the people of the Longhouse or the Haudenosaunee, the Iroquois Confederation of uh, Canada, mm-hmm. because it was through the manipulation of a couple of treaties, the uh, Treaty of uh, Albany at the you know the Albany Congress, where he asked the Iroquois not to align with the Lenape against the British and pledged support against their efforts with, you know, against the French because the Iroquois were fighting the French up in Canada. The Lenape were fighting the British in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Ben Franklin was an ambassador for both France and England and the colonies and really, you know, he manipulated it such that at the end the era both the Iroquois and the Lenape ended up without their land. Because he betrayed that the Iroquois didn't align with the Lenape. The Lenape were defeated and dispelled at the conclusion of the Seven-Year War, the French and Indian War. Mm-hmm. And the Treaty of Paris, which again was signed by Franklin, gave all Iroquois land to the British. So he betrayed the Iroquois after he convinced them not to align with the Lenape. So, you know... History has many sides, many facets, and give thanks we have a forum where we can, you know, see those different sides, you know? But if we look throughout history, this is exactly what happens when one force conquers and another one loses. This is how history has been throughout, you know, since the beginning of time. Like, we're not looking at anything unique here that, that Franklin did on the larger scale. You know, there were other there were other people in the United States as well as Canada who did the same thing to many of the indigenous people. I agree. And but you know, you you posed the question by saying you thought he was an unsung hero. Well I and I, and I, I honored that, yeah. but I also said that, you know, there are other ang- angles and perspectives on his life, you know, and and the impact that it that it's had, you know. But, you know, doesn't the need of the many outweigh the need of the few? Uh, well, there were many Lenape and many Algonquin, mm-hmm. many Iroquois. Yeah, we can say the same thing about the Chippewa. We can say the same thing, exactly. you know, about the exactly. Ojibwe, the, the entire thing. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that it, it, it was the way that it ended up is right. All I'm saying is that when you're trying to grow a nation, get an idea, a concept, a a philosophy, and you see what needs to be done, mm. you know, it's it's a give and take. Like we, I wasn't there. I don't know the inners of the of the entire story, but it it kind of. Echoes the War of eighteen twelve as well. It was a it was a very hard time in both the history of the United States and Canada. 
And if we look at other countries around the world where changes were done, there have always been those who have lost, those who have won. I'm not saying that all the time. It, it works to everybody's advantage. It doesn't. But in the majority of cases, it does. Listen, I have to ask you at this point, um, tell me about your concept of the Mandela effect. Well, I mean, I know many people are uh, focused on that phenomena. Mm -hmm. And what I, my, what I want to add to that discussion is that uh, misnomers create confusion. And to name it the Mandela effect, that's a misnomer. Because Nelson didn't do it. The manipulation of the space-time continuum that, uh, you know, we see in the effects uh, of, the, you know, so-called Mandela effect. If you want to name it what it really is, it's the Philadelphia Experiment effect. It is the effects of the manipulation of the space-time continuum by who by uh on one level naval research you know initially he you know beginning with the mm -hmm. experiment that was conducted at the, with the uss eldridge uh but it is my understanding that that project was uh continued at montauk island new york uh, primarily headed by a scientist named John von Neumann, who is uh, one of the first users of ENIAC, and he was involved in the 1943 experiment with the USS Eldridge here in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that MIT has uh, a piece of the research puzzle and it is my understanding that John Trump the biological uncle of Donald Trump uh, was involved with uh, creating this technology as well so is it good is it bad or is it indifferent well it is you know anything that is not aligned with the natural flow of space-time, mm -hmm. I would say is, uh, you know, not good. Well, well, if we look at that in such a, in a much simpler effect, if we're going to look at the time-space continuum or, or the great universal plan, as some people call it, if we get to a stop sign and according to the universal plan, we're supposed to turn right, but because we have free will, we turn left. Does that upset the entire time-space continuum? Uh, well, if you honor the laws of space-time, mm -hmm. I don't think it's a problem. I would say the use of this technology is a usurpation of the natural laws and the flow of space-time. And I think that it might cause problems, yeah. You know, it's it's not so much a relative uh, question, is it good or bad, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of my opinion, as much as 
is rupturing the fabric of space-time healthy for the planet? How is that going to impact the collective mind of humanity? Is that doing something to, uh, you know, to us on a molecular level? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of questions. That well, we can say the same thing about Wi-Fi. We can say the same thing about well, microwaves. We can the say the same, same thing about cell phones. You know, so where do you where do you stop? Say, I definitely say the yeah. same thing of those things, and that is a technology that we definitely should uh, shield ourselves from as much as possible. You know, because mm-hmm. they are unnatural radiations that jam up our natural frequencies. So I definitely, aff- you're right. Listen, uh, Ross, Ben, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure. I wish you continued success, and I look forward to the next time you join us here in the Exxon. But once again, let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and where they can get your books. RossBen.com, R-A-S-B-E-N.com. I do have a YouTube channel, non-monetized, RossBen188, where you can see, uh, you know, some of my... uh, presentations and great mystery philadelphia as well as my uh first book rocks of ages they're both available at my website rossben.com ross ben take care of yourself good sir and like i said look forward to the next time you join us back here in the x zone all right i'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue talking about things within the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology and hopefully hopefully We won't put a tear in the time-space continuum. Yeah. I'll be back on the other side of this break. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Mm -hmm. 